This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right. Hello, listeners. We are back here for another episode of the podcast. It's always good to uh, be with you, Jalen. How have you been? What's your week been like? Yeah, you know, it's been a busy week. It's been a bit stressful, but it's been a good week. And also at the time of recording, we are in the middle of October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I know we talk about this. We've talked about this in the past on on the podcast, but it is important for us, obviously for us as pastors to, uh, to, to recognize Pastor Appreciation Month, right? And John, I know the work that you do. I know how hard you work. I know the love that you have for your congregation and uh, just the shepherding heart that you have. So I appreciate the work that you do. I love um, just your heart for ministry and the heart for the Lord and really the the way that you pour yourself into discipleship and walking with people for their growth and seeing them grow in the Lord. I, I love that. So when I get to see other pastors who are doing good pastoral work, that excites me. It encourages me. It inspires me as a pastor. So thank you, John, for being a pastor. And, um, you know, I was sharing with you before we started recording that uh, my, my church gave me a nice little uh, card, left it on my desk. I found it yesterday uh, when I got to the church office and uh, just a really incredibly generous uh, gift and uh, was really blessed by it, um, felt really felt really moved by it. And just reminded again that you know, obviously we're not doing it for necessarily these gifts or necessarily for, you know, the, 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 the applause of man, but certainly it's helpful, right. To get that appreciation. And it reminds me of how much, you know, there are times when I feel extremely discouraged. There's times where I feel, um, lonely even, right. Cause ministry, especially pastoral ministry can, can be super lonely. And there, there's a lot of times of frustration, and when a congregation goes out of their way to show their appreciation, show their love, it, it, it really uplifts, it, it uplifts me, right? It encourages me. And I'm, and I'm so grateful for the people that I get to serve and be around and grow alongside with. And so, you know, it, again, this week has been challenging, but, you know, you balance that out with some of the appreciation that you receive. And uh, it's, it, it really is a joy to be uh, in ministry. So anyways, how are you doing? Good to see you as always. What's going on with you? Thanks, Jalen. I, uh, before I talk about how I'm doing, I want to say thank you just for your kind words. And I also appreciate you as a brother, as a friend, as a partner in ministry. Um, it's just been uh, such a joy to see how God has used you over the years. You probably have a better way with words than, than I do. So I'm going to stop right here with this. But I will say that you are the kind of pastor that I have always wanted to be when I grow up. So thank you for <laughs> being my friend and yeah, it's been it's been a joy, uh, you know, hanging out with you, doing this podcast. And I, I think something that probably both of us would agree with is that we don't just appreciate uh, one another, but 
Um, really all the pastors that have been listening to this podcast, the people that we serve alongside, uh, even if they don't listen to the podcast, we still appreciate them. Um, and we're thankful just for the ministry of the gospel that we are able to share in and participate in with, with all these different people that, that love Jesus and want to see um, the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed. And so, yeah, all you pastors out there that are listening, we appreciate you this month and we are thankful for your, uh, your service, your hard work, ministry, uh, we know a lot of it goes unseen, so keep at it. Um, for me, it has also been a pretty tough week, just, I think, busy. Um, lots of different things happening with ministry. Um, some of them are in kind of short term. I have to have things done in the next week or so or by the weekend. But other things that are farther down the road, and it just always feels, you know, this is how it is, right? That sometimes the work that we do, uh, it just piles up all of a sudden out of nowhere, and you just have to... Uh, you have to go with it. Trust that the Lord is going to strengthen you to, to survive those seasons. Um, but something that I uh, really enjoyed doing this week is we had our district conference, which is a gathering of all of the churches from our denomination in our district. My district uh, uh, encompasses Northern California, I think Utah and uh, Hawaii, even Guam. Um, so because of COVID this year, part of the gathering was like a hybrid one you know we met with pastors in our region um and then portions of it were online uh, but it was good just getting to know the pastors in the south bay area because i feel like you know after having been here a year and a half i still don't have a ton of relational connection with other ministries and other pastors and that's something that i really thrive on um which is partnership with other pastors and and so it was really good to to connect with people this week so yeah just uh it's been a it's been a a tough, busy week, but also a very um, fruitful and encouraging one. Yeah. And that's so important. You know, I think as we're talking about pastor appreciation and as you're talking about connecting with other pastors, obviously it's so important to have these, uh, these networks and these relational connections with people in ministry. And, you know, something that I really value is, you know, for, for both you and I, John, growing up in, in, in the Chicago area, there's a, there's a fairly tight knit Chinese Christian community. And I think that, there, you know, a lot of people know each other well. And, you know, even when you were here, we, we, we had gatherings together with other pastors and stuff like that. And those are super important, super health, health, healthy and helpful for us. Um, and, you know, today, actually, our guest is a guy who I think is great at the networking uh, connectivity thing. Um, he, he's a guy that we both grew up under. Uh, he was a, a counselor in our college fellowship at Chinese Christian Union Church. Uh, but Tommy Lee is the president of Resource Global. He's also the executive director of the Grow Center for Church and Mission, which if you're listening carefully, you know to be the sponsor of Bamboo Pastors podcast. So we got to make sure not to screw up any questions so that we don't lose our sponsorship with the Grow Center. But he's also uh, the host of the Resource Global podcast, uh, that's called Up Next. And so definitely go check out that podcast, Up Next. Uh, and lastly, the, the maybe the most important role that I would mention is that Tommy is the commissioner of my fantasy football league. And so I appreciate, I think, I think Tommy, we've been doing this league for like 15 years, right? Yes. Something around that, around that time. And so he's been doing a great job with that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super thankful for, for you, for all the work that you're doing in ministry and for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Tommy. Well, thanks for allowing me to come in and talk about fantasy football and buys and replacements. I can't wait to start talking about football. So where do you want to start? 
I, I feel like you might have mixed up the emails we sent you uh, with a different podcast. And uh, I, I'm, we're happy to talk fantasy football eventually, but I think we want to hear uh, just about the work that you're doing, the ministry that you're doing. Um, I'll start by saying this, Tommy, you know, again, uh, as Jalen said, we are so thankful that you're on the podcast with us. You are a dear friend to us. Yeah, thank um, you. We've known you for a really long time. You know, you were serving in the youth ministry when I was a student in the college ministry when I was uh, in college. And I'm just thankful for how you have shaped uh, me and both of us. Yeah. And I've got a lot of stories, but I'm a little scared of telling them because I'm worried of the reciprocal stories that you would tell about me. So <laughs> we'll just stop there. But I will ask um, for the sake of our listeners who may not know you, if you could just share a bit of your ministry journey, your calling into ministry with us, because we want to hear about the work that God has done in yep. your life, leading you to this point, now serving in all these different uh, spaces. You know, I uh, when I went to college in 1995, I went to Washington University in St. Louis. I had every intention of going to medical school. I actually thought that I was going to be a doctor. One year in, I realized I did not want to be a doctor, so I actually enrolled in the business school at WashU. When I graduated, I worked in the area of building cell towers for a number of years. That was then when I started working in our Chinese church in Chinatown, volunteer with the high school ministry, eventually took over the college ministry. And as it grew, I realized on Friday nights, you had to speak to college students every single week. I had zero clue on what in the world I was doing. And so I went to night school at Moody Seminary at night and still work. So in those days, I worked in a suburb in Schaumburg. So at five o'clock, I would drive down, sit there at six o'clock in class until nine o'clock. And then from that point on, I studied until from 10 to 3 a.m. all the time for about three, four years. Went to bed at three, woke up at six, got to the office at eight in Schaumburg. Those were tough years. And afterwards... Then I was a pastor at a church by the name of Lakeview Church in Northbrook, a Korean church at that point in time. I said, Lord, are you calling me to be a pastor? So I was working with our small groups at that time. After about three years, I realized God did not call me to be a pastor. It just did not. It may have been something I enjoyed doing or I always wanted to do. That's not my calling. It just wasn't what I was called to do. Then I got hired at Moody Bible Institute to work for Dr. Michael Easley as a special assistant to the president. And I said to myself, clearly, that's my calling. Well, then after three years, Dr. Easley says, Tommy, I'm actually resigning because of health problems. Well, I thought I was going to stay with you for the next 20 years. Well, that calling ended. And then from that point on, I didn't know what I was going to do. And hence, in the last 10 years, we've started Resource Global. I work with the Growth Center. I now work as the managing director of Together LA. I get a chance to work with different groups like A21, the human trafficking. I would say it took me about uh, 20 years to really figure out what my calling was. But the one lesson I learned is, Tommy, are you faithful to where God has placed you right now? because all those years have given me the skills to do what I'm doing currently right now. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing for, for every, all of us to remember, but especially you know, if there's listeners who are like the young uh, seminary graduate students or something like that, mm -hmm. to, to recognize that your calling doesn't necessarily come right when you finish no. school or even no. when you're in school, right? Like you said, it took you 20 years to really discover what God was calling you to. And there's obviously experiences that were shaping you throughout that throughout that time, uh, you think, um, you know, as you, as you think back to 
your time growing up at a Chinese heritage church. Now, what did you enjoy about your experience? And then also, what were some of the challenges of growing yeah. up in a Chinese heritage church? The biggest thing that I enjoyed is my time with you guys. And it's not because you guys are on. I have some of the best memories. Jalen, when you first started, your wife, Jenny, John, when you were there, that group that we had when we first started, when you joined in sophomore year in high school to when you graduated college year, laid the foundation of everything I'm doing at Resource Global right now, what it meant to work with you guys, empower student leaders, what it meant to motivate volunteers, what it meant to help people to grow. I think God used that as my tending the sheep moment. Like for instance, David had to tend the sheep before Samuel came in and says, you're going to be the next king. And then he started learning what it meant to be a king. I look at my time at both our high school ministry at Kingdom Seekers and our time in college ministry with ambassadors as a time where God used that opportunity to mold and shape me in this little group and which we grew into something huge and wonderful and took the skills to do what I'm doing at Resource Global. That was probably the biggest enjoyment. If there is one thing I miss, it is those years that I miss dearly because I found them so fun. Now, where I really struggled with, I did struggle working sometimes with the environment of sometimes working with older Asian leaders in which respect, you have to defer to leadership and just show their respect. And I think I ran into conflict all the time with that. And I'm not always a, uh, hey, defer the leadership. I, I do tend to question different things. And I think a lot of times I, I butted heads with some of our older elders during those many years. In fact, I think I butted heads many years because I, I think a lot of times I was always in trouble for allowing the students to go a little bit too crazy, to uh, run, a, what they would say, a run amok of the situation. And I, I think those were some of the struggles. But I really felt like, as I always told the older leaders is, My job is to help these younger leaders to think, to have ownership. And that means sometimes allowing them to go a little crazy, allowing them to make mistakes. And at the same time, my job was to help them to think in order to allow them to figure out what God was calling them to do in their life. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate that you talked about leadership development because that for me, when I was was at our college fellowship at Chinese Christian Union Church and you were leading that group, uh, I, I look back at that that season as a really momentous season for mm-hmm. my leadership growth. Uh, you really had a knack. And I think, you know, even though you talked about how it took you 20 years to figure out what you're doing, uh, yeah. like that, that component of leadership development has always been so central to who you are and what you do. And it's made such an, a huge impact on me. Like I would, I, you know, I, I would probably be a, a way different leader if it, if, if it were not for your influence. And so I, I really appreciate that, Tommy. No, I appreciate John and Jalen. I think a lot of times, I, if you guys still remember when we took that, when I first took over, there was about 19 students at that point in time. By the time you left, we had about 90 students. The goal was how do you develop student leaders to have ownership of what was going on? How do you allow them to think and take that excitement and that ownership and allow others to really be able to feel like this was their group. It wasn't Tommy Lee telling you guys what to do. It was allowing you guys to feel that ownership. And by creating that and thinking out of the side of the box, 
I think it really grew during those years. Yeah, Tommy, I appreciate that, you know, as you've shared uh, about looking back at those years and what a joy they were, that you have also been very upfront about there were, uh, there were difficult moments um, yeah. during that time. And um, I think that's just the reality of ministry is that it's, it's never going to be perfect. Like, you know, we're working with people and all of us are being formed uh, after the image of God. And that's, that's a lifelong process. And so, um, you know, that uh, as God is shaping you, I'm sure he's shaping the students you're working with, shaping the elders that you were serving under. Uh, and oftentimes in that process, there can be a lot of tension and oh, yeah. frustration. So I just want to, you know, I want to publicly apologize for being one of those students that went a little crazy during high school and college and probably uh, ended up causing you to have a lot more grief um, with the higher ups. So, you know, please forgive me, Tommy. Um, but I, I know that um, even that, you know, even those wilder years yeah. were formative for me, and I'm sure were formative for you uh, yeah, as well. Now, you know, you are no longer serving in um, high school and college ministry. You've really shifted your focus to something new. And I, I want to talk a little bit about um, your work at Resource Global. Can you just yeah. maybe unpack what it is that you do? Um, what are the different initiatives and programs that you have yeah. and how they have been a, a, res a resource, right? no pun intended, um, to the kingdom of God uh, in this season of your life. Six years ago, a Christian foundation approached me and says, Tommy, I want you to find a creative way of doing global missions. And I'm going to send you over to Jakarta, Indonesia, to find a creative way to do global missions. I said, okay, sure. So they gave me a grant. And so for about two years, eight trips later, I interviewed and met with all of these different ministries in Indonesia, which is the fourth biggest country in all of the world in terms of population per capita, one of the wealthiest countries in all of the world, 13,000 islands and the largest number of Muslims in, the, in all of the world. So then as I interviewed all of the different things, I saw one thing, what they were doing and what they were doing in terms of finances did not jive. And I'm sitting there, there's a disconnect between what they were spending and saying they were spending and what they were actually doing. So I brought that back to the foundation. And I said, I met, I met a lot of ministries. I had no idea what they were doing because it's not, it's not meshing together. So he said, so Tommy, what's your solution? Uh, what's your answer? And I said, well, you know what? I came across these young Christian marketplace leaders, Chinese Indonesians, in fact, make up 20% of the population in Indonesia, but 80% of the economy. Many of them came to the States, went to London or Australia or the States, Stanford, MIT, Harvard, University of Michigan, Northwestern, whatever it is. There they went to InterVarsity Crusade, Bible-believing churches like many of the ones that you guys are now pastoring and leading, now have gone home. They're now working for family businesses, startups, they're working for corporations, which have grown into the million-dollar, multi-million-dollar corporations. Those individuals are the key to gospel growth in their cities. Young Christian marketplace leaders in those cities are a catalyst for gospel growth in their cities. So what Resource Global started doing is coming alongside these young marketplace leaders beginning in Jakarta, Indonesia, through an eight-month pro cohort program. We work with them on their idea of calling, leadership, justice and mercy, integration, faith and work to be able to learn to look at their calling and see their role in the society, in the cities that they are to change their society and their cities for the gospel. That vision went from Jakarta to Nairobi to Kuala Lumpur 
to Singapore, to Chicago, to Austin, Texas. Next year, it goes to Hong Kong, a second location in Indonesia, in Medan, and South Africa. And that really became the genesis of Resource Global. What you guys taught me so many years ago during our time at CCUC in Chinatown laid the foundation, gave me the skills to now take those same skills and apply it globally. I owe, and Jalen, I, I think a lot of times I learned this in hermeneutics class at Moody. When we looked at Acts 1-8, what is your role in taking the gospel to all the ends of the earth? And what you guys taught me in Bastard is, and all, if I could continue to work with college students, I probably could impact maybe 5,000 students in my lifetime. But what if I take those same concepts and gave the inspiration to those young marketplaces? Can we change the world for the gospel? And that has been something I've been working on for the last seven years. Yeah, I love that approach to missions. And I love that idea of reaching and connecting with the young marketplace leaders. And again, like, emphasizing the idea, the idea of calling and leadership development, justice and mercy. Uh, those things are so important uh, in, in all these different global cities, right? But, you know, I guess to, to kind of bring it back to the Chinese Heritage Church, what, what do you feel like are lessons about leadership development within the global, global community that you've seen and you've learned as you've been in those different places? Uh, how, how are those transferable to the Chinese Heritage Church? How can the, the church benefit from this approach to missions? Yeah. Uh, well, and one thing I hope I'm answering this question correctly is when I first went to Indonesia, for instance, all of the young leaders looked at me as I'm older than they are. I'm American and I'm uh, a male. So they just defer to everything I said. I had to learn what it meant to draw the best out of them. That means me less teaching and telling them what to do, but me asking questions me learning from them, me drawing out the best in them. If I did not sit there and just constantly tell them what to do, they'll never learn. But I had to allow them to think for themselves. I had to allow them to think through, what does it say biblically? What does the gospel mean to all of those things? That means you're always asking questions. You're always wanting to learn. You're always allowing them to really be able to express. Versus I grew up in terms of Older people tell me what to do. And I listen, I have to defer. Yeah, you know, I, I think as you, as you say that, uh, what it helps me kind of think about is giving, like you, like you said earlier, ownership to the people in your church, right? I think for a lot of us as Chinese Americans, there is a tendency to, especially like younger, maybe younger developing leaders to kind of sit back and wait, right? As you said, to, to defer to the older generation. And obviously there's a need for us to catalyze those younger leaders and to, you know, kind of push them into ministry opportunities. Um, and so I think there's certainly that, that need for, for, for our, for our Chinese heritage churches to recognize that sometimes our, our younger, um, our younger leaders need, need a little bit of a push and, and they need a little bit of a, uh, help in understanding that, look, it's not just the pastor or it's not just the, the elders who are going to be doing everything. It's, it's equipping and empowering our younger leaders to really, you know, take the baton and, and keep moving. But Jalen, John, John, one of the things I also learned is like, for instance, here's a good example. 
our Jakarta leader, when I first met her, she was a graduate of the University of Michigan. She was brilliant. She was leading six different small groups. And I wanted her to be one of our primary speakers. But she kept telling me that she wasn't very good. Her confidence was low. So as a result, I had to make sure that I build that confidence up. Now, if I threw her in right away and said, you're a speaker, go figure it out. I've set her up for failure. I now had to sit there and work out the plan. We had to start it off with allowing her to be the MC of different events, allowing her to learn how to pray in public. Then from that point on, allowing her to give a short devotion over a couple months. Once she got used to that, then allowing her to be the moderator of the entire event and then learning to give a talk. But me as the leader, as the male leader in an Asian uh, atmosphere where a culture where sometimes you value the male more than female, I had to then give up the power and allow her to shine and for me to sit under her teaching in order to demonstrate that to the rest of the group. It took about four or five years to be able to do that, but you had to do that to build her confidence and slowly allow her to succeed in, uh, in what she was doing. Yeah, Tommy, as I, you know, as I listen to you talk about this, um, this particular dynamic with empowering leaders, especially, mm -hmm. um, you know, young leaders in, in a global context uh, and very much so a cross-cultural context, um, you know, I, I just feel like I resonate with that because yeah. even in my own story, you know, I, I feel like there have been seasons where I feel um, very confident in how God has developed me and I can speak into that. Uh, but there's also spaces where I feel like I don't have a seat at the table yet. Or I don't have uh, an invitation to to speak into that space. Oftentimes, those were cross-cultural spaces, um, either when in my work with like you know, youth pastors that were not from a Chinese heritage background or um, with older leaders in, in the Chinese heritage church. And I had to learn how to uh, wait. One, I had to learn how to wait for invitation. And then there were other times where... Um, you know, I had to learn to step into something, even if that even invitation didn't come right away. I think it really depended on the group that I was talking with. And, and I think, again, I mean, um, not to get into too many specifics, but I feel like probably in the in the Chinese Heritage Church situation, that was the space where I probably needed to do a better job of waiting for that yeah. invitation and needed people like you that maybe would champion me as a young leader in in the Chinese Heritage Church, um, but in those other spaces there were that which was different, like maybe that cross cultural space of working with um, a lot of uh, you know non Chinese youth pastors. That that was a space where I kind of put myself into this box yeah. of um, you know I I don't have something to offer or I don't have something to contribute to this discussion or to this space, and, and I had to learn. Like, no, there is value in who we are and, and what we do um, as a part of the Chinese Heritage Church. So, you know, I appreciate um, the work that you're doing in, in trying to develop these leaders uh, globally in all these different cities around the world, um, because I think it's an important voice that we don't want to overlook. We don't want to miss out on what God is doing among um, these young professionals. I, I think a question that I have for you is, is that oftentimes that generation or that demographic is is one of the more difficult ones for Chinese heritage churches to connect with. Correct. There are churches that do it well. Oftentimes they're in big cities, um, but but they're not 
they're few and far between, I would say. I think most of like, let's say a suburban Chinese heritage church um, or in a small town Chinese heritage church, they would they would struggle to connect with that demographic with with the with the I guess for lack of a better word, you know, yuppies, right? Young urban professionals. And so, so my question is, what are some ways that you feel like the Chinese Heritage Church can learn to to reach these communities, reach these demographics, um, not just like reach them with the gospel, but even uh, connect and empower them to lead or release them to lead? A couple of things that has worked for me. I, I think a lot of times, especially early working with you guys is number one, I had to learn what it meant to admit my mistakes. When you work with younger people, don't sit there and just talk down to them all the time. Have a genuine interest in what they're actually thinking. Take their opinions and allow it to matter to you. They probably have a lot of good ideas and also be willing to try some of their ideas. In the midst of sometimes in dialoguing and talking with them, if you make mistakes as a leader, feel free to admit your mistakes. Admit that you've done things wrong. I think when you show that you're very vulnerable and that you don't have all of the answers, the respect actually comes more. I used to have an argument all the time with some of our elders over at the church, and they used to sit there and say, well, they just have to submit to leadership. They, they, they have to admit that sometimes they, we do what's best. Even if we're wrong, we're doing what's best. I said, well, but you have to be authentic with them. That if you mess up, just apologize. Admit that you're wrong. It'll go a long way. And sometimes those things, they're not willing to do that because it's always a top-down approach. That I think that's probably the biggest issues that I used to see all the time, John. Yeah. You know, I think as you share that, that's so important for, you know, I, I've, learned, I've been learning that just even as a parent, right, that I want my kids to recognize that I make mistakes. Yes. You know, and, and I think that's so healthy for you know, our kids to learn, but, but even as you're talking about in the church, as we're developing leaders, it's important to see that failure is actually helpful. (laughs) Failure can be a a good teacher and that it's, it's okay that, you know, there's, you know, I think we want to, I think we want to have a healthy uh, and safe space for leaders and church leaders to fail, you know, not, not in a, you know, not in a moral sense, not in a, you know, in a, in a sinful way, obviously, but when there are things that, that don't work out quite the way that you want them to, I think there's there's way, ways for us to say that's okay and that's good. How can we learn from those? What would you say are some other practical steps in developing leaders, especially in the Chinese Heritage Church? Another thing a lot of times is I find when I work with young marketplace leaders, they're always wanting to figure out what God is calling them to do. They're always thinking ahead. One of our mutual friends, Dr. Julius Wong-Loy Singh, When I was in seminary, he says to me, Tommy, you're always going, going, going. You're always looking ahead. If you do not learn how to stop and reflect upon the journey that God has you on in your history, you are doing the service of what God wants to do for yourself. I had to learn to reflect. I had to learn to reflect upon my failures, my past, good or bad, in order to see how that failure, how my past shape me to who I am today. God has us on a journey. The things that happen to us, mistakes that we make, all has made us. You have to learn to reflect and then be honest with people about your story. Jalen, John, John, let me just say this. The biggest thing, and I'll be very honest with you, your folks over on the podcast. You know what I struggle with mostly? I could sit here and tell you all the good things I've done in ministry. I could sit there and tell you about all the things that God has used me. I struggle with anger a lot. I struggle with resentment a lot. 
I struggle with anger because people always gave me uh, a short end in the stick. They never thought I could accomplish anything. I struggle because in our Chinese church, I was quote unquote fired from my job. I struggle with this and that. I, if I'm not careful, I will live out anger and spite. I know those are my demons all the time. So I talk openly about it and I share with people that I wrestle with those demons, but I need the grace of God. I need his strength to continue to do ministry in a pure and wonderful way. So I try to be open about my strengths because we're all imperfect, but it is the grace of our savior who continues to guide us in everything that we do. Tommy, that's a good word. And uh, I just appreciate your vulnerability and, you know, just uh, acknowledgement that, that you are a work in progress. God's not yeah. done with you. And we're, we're thankful for that. Um, and, but for sure, I know just from a distance from two guys who are walking behind you and, and watching your example, I think both of us have been blessed and encouraged by uh, your obedience and how you've, how you've been transformed over the years. And so yeah. we're thankful for that. Um, you know, as we wrap up this podcast, uh, we, we like to end with this one question, which is what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give someone currently serving in the Chinese Heritage Church? You've already given us a ton, but if there's one last thing that you would want to say, what would that be? It was a journey that I learned in something in terms of when I was dealing with my cancer. When I was diagnosed with cancer in my uh, sinus, the doctor says you're going to live with pain for about eight weeks and that pain won't go away. So you're going to have to be prepared for this. When I enter chemo and radiation, second week goes in. First week was great. Second week, I lose all my taste buds. Then I lose all my saliva. Third week goes in. I now live with pain every single day from that for the next six weeks. The chemo and radiation destroy everything inside my mouth. My nose is in so much pain. I can't eat solid foods. I could only drink, but I've lost all my taste buds. So everything tastes like water. The chemo soon destroys the outside of my skin. I'm in pain. I sit there every single day and I cannot stop the pain. They had me on so much morphine, everything like that. I used to sit there at three o'clock in the morning in my house crying every night because I can't deal with the pain. It is in those times God spoke to me and says, Tommy, can you trust me? And I had to learn that this, I could not allow my heart to really be able to trust my heart because my heart was going to become bitter and angry. I had to trust upon the words and the truth of scriptures and the memories of how God was faithful in my life. That had to carry me on. And God reminded me during that cancer struggle, can you still be faithful and trust in the word that I have given you? Because it's not about your feelings but it is me working in you to trust my word. I've never forgotten those thoughts. I've never forgotten those feelings and those guide me every single day of my life. Yeah, Tommy, you've, I've, I've heard you share that uh, a few times now, but every time it's super encouraging. And I'm so grateful for the way that you have approached um, you know, your cancer and the way that you have uh, trusted in the Lord and clung to him. And again, your vulnerability and sharing those struggles and those challenges it, it is, uh, it's, it's just an awesome testimony for, for me and for all of us. And so I'm really grateful for yep. that. Um, and we're really grateful that you've joined us, uh, for this podcast episode. Uh, obviously you're doing a lot of stuff. 
Um, so can you just shout out where, where are some places if people want to know more about what you're doing, where, where, where can they go to find out about what you're doing? So, hey, guys, I, I find these days I run about multiple organizations. So you can find me at resourceglobal.org. That's resourceglobal.org. Thegrowcenter.com and the, managing, uh, the executive director of the Growth Center for Church and Mission. Managing director of Together LA, togetherla.net. I work for a wonderful organization called A21 that works with human trafficking victims. I have a consulting company called createpossible.com. And for those who are wondering what my secret is, I tell people that my secret in everything I do, I work with former stay-at-home moms who run my life. Many of those former stay-at-home moms were former executive directors, project managers, vice presidents. They're very competent. They just took some time off to work with their kids, to take care, kid, take care of the family. So, But from 10 a.m. to 2 o'clock, there's some of the best people who get a lot of things done, and they run my entire life. So it is a shout-out to them. And, guys, thank you very much. Uh, for. Um, so when are we going to talk about football? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have to save that for another episode, Tommy. Hey, if anything, guys, the one thing I do miss from being uh, doing Resource Global is I miss the years of friendship with you all. That is the one thing. Serving with you all is the one thing I really, really miss because I had so much fun. I tell people all the time whenever I travel at Resource Global that your, your group and when I had a chance to work with you guys was some of the greatest honor and joy of my life because... They, I said to them, I cannot tell you how a group of students I had the honor of knowing shaped me in, in a way that I can never, ever describe. And I, for that, I am extremely thankful. Well, again, thanks, Tommy. R really appreciate your time. And thanks for joining us on this podcast. You got it. Talk soon, guys. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.